Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I am your host. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. He is the pastor of Elim Romana Pentecostal Church in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he is also my uncle, uh, Pastor Christian Ionescu, also known as, to me, Uncle Christi. So h- how's it going today? Oh, that's wonderful. As usual, when I come and visit you guys, it's, uh, it's always a, a great time, a great fellowship, a wonderful, wonderful um, family time. And I'm so glad that you were in town. I know the last time we saw you was in March, right when things started to shut down. So uh, we were at that point where, you know, we never knew when we would be able to meet up again, you know. So it was uh, it's a great blessing to have you here. And I'm super thankful to, to have you here with me. Um, when I started this thing, I thought of certain guests that I'd have. And it'd be, it'd be people from here, young people that I knew from other parts, but you were definitely on my list. So I wanted to put you like right here, 10th, 11th, 12th episode, because I think um, not only are you you very well known, but there's a, there's a big story to tell, especially what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's important for a lot of the listeners, mostly the young people who are treading waters right now um, in this religious slash political debate to really understand what's going on with the church uh, in this world right now. So um, as we continue, we're going to jump right into it. But today we're going to talk about um, everything that went, all your proceedings that had had to happen with the, um, was it the Chicago legislature regarding the closing closing slash opening of the church? And yeah, before we jump into any specifics, um, so what was the, at what point during the quarantine? Because we we, we started second week of March, but at what point did you notice that, hey, nothing's going on, no no one's communicating with us, um, there is no communication regarding the opening of churches, but at what point did you decide that action needs to be taken? Well, first of all, uh, it's so good to be with you here. And uh, every time I meet somebody from my family, I would call them my favorite brother, my favorite uh, daughter, my favorite (laughs) uh, grandchild, uh, my favorite uh, nephew. Um, But I can say that here with a confidence um, that as far as uh, God's kingdom is concerned, I am so... Uh, proud to have seen you grow. Yeah, thank and you. Not only grow as a nephew, but uh, in the service of God, uh, preaching and uh, directing uh, the youth choir, and uh, also uh, seeing your love for Christ. And uh, um, so I'm I'm so grateful to be here with you. Um, I left California. Uh, the week before uh, they shut down uh, the state of Illinois. And um, I remember I had a a plane ticket for Tuesday um, because on Sunday I participated at my baby dedication of um, uh, my grandson. Seth, yeah. Uh, Yes, and uh, what happened, I I had to uh, get a plane on Monday morning first thing on Monday morning and get home because I didn't know if I would be able to travel. We expected these shutdowns to take place. And uh, uh, we went back home. Uh, I talked to the other pastors, uh, members of our board, 
And um, obviously, in the beginning, we didn't know what to make of it uh, because there were contradicting stories about how um, um, the spreading of the virus takes place, uh, uh, how fast it does it, and um, how dangerous it is. Uh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, uh, keep the distance, don't. Uh, it's just a hoax and uh, it's the end of the world. And so, um, in those uh, conflicting um, stories, uh, we didn't know what to make of it. So, we uh, suspended the services uh, before the state was uh, shut down. And we said, let's wait for a week or two, a Sunday or two, and see what's going on. And uh, when the order, the shutdown order, uh, the stay-at-home order came from the government, uh, as far as the citizens were concerned, um, I didn't for a moment consider that as being valid as a order for churches. Uh, not that the government couldn't recommend, not that the scientists and doctors, uh, epidemiologists couldn't recommend that people stay isolated, but the government cannot order churches around. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, constitutionally uh, forbidden, prohibited. Um, but I, I said, and they didn't use the word churches, just gatherings, public gatherings, and so on and so forth. So I didn't apply that to the term church. And at first, I was glad they didn't do it. As a matter of fact, I remember commenting to one of my uh, assistants, hey, I, I think these people are wise not using the word church because as a government, they cannot do that. They cannot say churches should do or shouldn't do something. Uh, but as far as recommending that all the gatherings would be uh, suspended for a while, um, I took it to heart and I said, yeah, we love our people, we care about the lives of our people, and so we suspended the services. We announced the church that um, it will be on a week-by-week -week basis. We started our services online, we had a video uh, videos uh, posted on the internet, on social media, every night with a prayer exhortation and uh, prayer time uh, with announcements, probably a 15-minute video. Then we had on Thursdays and Sundays when we had our usual services, um, probably an hour and a half to two hour uh, services. Uh, we had some things uh, from our archives, like songs and um, choir songs and band songs, um, even some uh, sermons. Uh, but we were very active the whole time. Uh, the problem was, uh, after almost two months, maybe not two months, a month and a half, uh, we were looking at plans to reopen, talks about what being uh, essential or and not being essential means. And we saw they didn't mention churches. But now, it was not like they were uh, avoiding the term church per se. Uh, 
it was pushing us along with other public gatherings, sports events, um, arena uh, meetings, and and they were bunching us up together with all those things and predicting that it would take at least a year until all those services could be reopened. And I say, hey, now I, we need specifics because people in their subconscious, they put church services along with public gatherings in the same category. And if I see that Walmart is open, Target is open, uh, Costco is open, uh, other places like um, beauty shops and uh, um, uh, fitness centers start to be open, and I'm talking about the state of Illinois. Uh, abortion clinics. Yeah. Um, so many other places like this would be open. Liquor stores are essential, considered essential. Then I'm not going to disregard but I'm not going to regard the government in a position of authority over the church either. So if our people in the church, because, and now let's understand that we share the same citizens. They're citizens of this country and they're parishioners mm -hmm. of our churches, the same people. And if they are ordered to stay home, but then they are permitted to go work in essential services, and if they have access to essential services like um, uh, supermarket, big box stores, abortion clinics, as I have said, uh, then church, I think, is even more essential than that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time to reopen churches with measures of protection and prevention we wanted to exceed CDC guidelines, at least in the beginning for the first one month or two. But uh, to conclude this point, I said, if we get used to the fact that the government orders churches around and is in a position of restricting religious activities, and if we accept that, uh, in an unchecked, unchallenged uh, manner, then we are giving up our God-given, but our constitutional freedoms also. And that seemed to me as unacceptable. So you were loosely quoted saying that the, when you reopened the church, it was more clean than any other supermarket or convenience store out there. It was it followed all the guidelines. There was the social distancing. There were the hand sanitizing stations. People who uh, wanted to wear masks could wear masks. Uh, everything was super clean. And um, we offered them masks, yeah. uh, complimentary ma masks. Uh, and we also created a six feet bubble between each person inside the sanctuary. Uh, we checked temperatures at the entrance. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and that's all great. And I think that's something that um, a lot of people appreciated, even those who were not in the church. They saw that 
um, they're following the same, if not better guidelines than a lot of these essential services, quote unquote. Um, but so once you decided after that six week point, when you decided to reopen and you made the announcement and, um, it became public knowledge, um, you received some backlash from the government officials, um, most notably by Mayor Lightfoot. And then, um, I forgot what the governor's name was, uh, Pritzker Pritzker. Yeah. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about that, about the specific backlash you received from those two individuals? Uh, what happened is, um, I, at first I, um, put up online a video uh, challenging, uh, number one, the, the idea that uh, the church is submitting to the government and that we are shut down as a result of the government's order, and we said, no, it's not true, we shut down the church, the government cannot do that, they issued the stay-at-home order, and we've followed that with a shutting down of the church so that the same citizens under the authority of the government and par parishioners as part of the church would be protected for a while until we find out what we're talking about. Then we saw other things opening up, and we said, well, if one of my members is going here and there, working and shopping and doing this and that and coming uh, and going to and fro. But they cannot come to church because the government is keeping it shut down. Then I said, I cannot stand for it. So I want to give that parishioner at least an option because I cannot force that parishioner to come to church, but I can give him an option and say, hey, the church is open for you and as you have a right to go to other places that are deemed essential, I don't want you to forget that church is essential as well, if not more, and the church is open for you as well. Uh, of course, and as I've said, in the five-point plan of reopening the state, they never said one word about churches. They just put everything together in public gatherings. They limit it to 50 people mm -hmm. in phase three. As it stood at that time, it was a 10 people yeah. uh, restriction. So I said, first of all, I sent a video and I said, listen, uh, I, have a, I have some questions for you as far as restricting public gatherings because churches are concerned. We are a public gatherings, gathering, but we are more than that. We consider ourselves a public gathering uh, with uh, eternal consequences mm -hmm. and very essential in that aspect. But how did you come to the 10 or 20, 50 number restriction? Because mm -hmm. you're always saying scientists, science uh, specialists, so, as public officials, did you have the common sense of asking them, I mean, you don't just take uh, orders from the scientists, you just, you ask questions. Science needs questions. Yeah. How did you come up with these numbers? Did, did you ask the questions? Did the scientists explain to you? 
Um, so as soon as the mayor uh, asked for a meeting, I said, okay, I'm going to meet with you, but I'm not going to be lectured. I want answers. So I've sent a letter with nine answers, or nine questions. Mm -hmm. And I said, in our meeting, you will have the majority of the talk time, but please answer these questions. And uh, the mayor immediately, the, the, the mayor's lawyer contacted uh, our lawyer from Liberty Council, uh, attorney Harry Mihet, and said, well, we're not going to meet because that letter, and this is ridiculous, um, must have been compiled by a professional, by an attorney. It couldn't have been put together by the pastor. So we're in a legal field here. The mayor just wanted to have a private conversation with the pastor, not with attorneys, not with anything. So then uh, my, my discussion, my conversation with the mayor took a public turn. I couldn't talk to her privately anymore. I said, listen, if it bothers you that my attorney would be present in our conversation, that's exactly why uh, he needs to be there. So when I, um, uh, when I saw that our uh, conversation uh, got stuck on, oh, uh, this is, uh, we cannot have a conversation with the, the attorney present. I said, this is exactly why he needs to be present. The fact that you are shying away from having our attorneys present, this is exactly why he needs to be present. Because you have authority over me as a citizen to handcuff me. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to you. So... First of all, my attorney needs to be present. Secondly, that uh, letter that I've emailed her was common sense questions. I could not believe that she thought that a pastor that speaks in public is a public speaker and uh, researches the Bible, interprets the Bible, and preaches the Bible, and talks about social issues for the last 40 years uh, would not be able to compile a nine question letter, a common sense, mm -hmm. something that if I continue to keep the church shut down, I should answer to my parishioners, explaining them why. So from there it went down. She, um, at first, uh, she put up probably on Thursday um, before the, the Sunday of the 17th, because on the 10th, we opened up the church, no issues, no mm -hmm. problems. May 10th, right? May 10th, mm -hmm. yes, May 10th. Then May 17th, on the Thursday before that Sunday, she put up signs on the trees a few blocks around the property, because there will be a public event on a Sunday, uh, people in the neighborhood cannot park their cars. Now, you've been to Chicago, yeah, and you know that for the most part, as you go into the city, uh, most homes uh, have very limited private parking, especially when you talk about 
uh, apartment buildings. Yeah. And a lot of people need to park their cars in the streets. So they said on Sunday morning at 7, beginning on Sunday morning at 7, until Sunday night at 9 p.m., there will be no parking on those streets. On Sunday, the, I mean, I've been contacted by the media and said, well, what event? What's going to happen? I said, I don't know. Maybe they organized and they incited people to protest against the church. Mm-hmm. So I said, we'll see what's coming on Sunday. Something must come towards us, yeah. I assume. Yeah. In the morning, it was raining was cold and people had to pick up their cars. Some of them would come back from work, nurses, uh, in the medical people in the medical field, and they had to go around the city of Chicago, many blocks around the church, to find a parking space on a Sunday morning when nobody goes anywhere. And even those that were parked there had to take up uh, in the morning, their, their cars, and look for parking away from those restricted streets. An impossible mission. Mm-hmm. And then walk back, if they were so fortunate to find a parking space, walk back in the rain and cold. Uh, Talking about saving lives. Yeah, exactly. And protecting lives. What happened, they sent letters to the neighbors saying the reason you're going through this is because the church holds services this Sunday and we want to prevent them from parking on the streets. What they didn't know was we don't park on the streets. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a contract with a bank and with two other places they could park their cars there, but we never use the streets as a parking. And we have a small parking lot right next to the church. so. We were not affected. People in the neighborhood were affected, but they wanted to incite hate and resentment. Mm -hmm. It backfired. People were incensed by it. Uh, The the, the alderman, uh, like a mayor of that district, particular district, said she didn't agree with the measures. And then some neighbors came to the church and gave donations to the church. Said these people are going to fine you for sure, and we want to give a donation to, uh, to the church. That's awesome. Yeah, it backfired on them. Yeah. But in the evening, they caught up with it, and they parked police cars at 5 p.m. before we started the service at 6 at the entrance of the parking lot uh, that we use. It it is a private parking lot contracted by us, we have a contract with a bank, and it is illegal unless they think a crime would be occurring. It is illegal for them to block the entrance of the parking lot, yet five police cars came and blocked the entrance of the parking lot. We immediately sent word out to our people. What they did, they drove each other to the church one of the family members would have to stay home, but before they went back home, they brought people to the church, and we didn't have an issue. People were attending church, uh, but this tells you the level of animosity 
uh, I think they breached uh, our rights. Uh, they infringed upon our constitutional rights to assemble. And they did that in hope that our people would be intimidated, neighbors would be incited, and uh, we would give up on our plan to reopen. But that only strengthened our resolve. And next week, uh, after the 17th, on the 24th of May, we had uh, Pastor Gibson from his church, uh, a multi-location mega church in Kentucky and Texas, come and visit with us. Uh, we had a lot of media attention during those weeks. Um, also, at the beginning of May, we started a legal proceedings against, uh, against Governor Pritzker and his stay-at-home order as it applied to churches. And of course, we lost uh, the first uh, round because it was a local judge that was a teacher at Pritzker uni uh, Law University oh. <laughs> in Chicago, uh, which was uh, funded by Pritzker with many millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And he was a visiting professor, and his contract could have been completely uh, annulled as uh, summarily. Yeah. Uh, if Governor Pritzker would say so. But he didn't communicate to us his ties with the governor. And I think that was unethical. Yeah. But then we went to the Court of Appeals and sought a restriction on Governor uh, Pritzker so he wouldn't punish the church. Um, we lost there, but then we went to the Supreme Court with that uh, restriction. And the Supreme Court asked Governor Pritzker um, to respond to some questions and some uh, uh, challenges from our attorneys, from Liberty Council. And let me first say that in the week after the 24th, not only were we uh, cited for disorderly conduct, as hilarious and ironical that would be if it were not tragic, uh, disorderly conduct for uh, conducting the most orderly uh, gatherings in the state of Illinois, um, that would equate with somebody uh, starting a, being drunk and starting a fight uh, in a bar. Yeah. That's what disorderly conduct means. But then they sent us a letter which uh, was threatening the church with a summary abatement. They would use those terms to destroy a property in its extreme form, to destroy a property if it becomes a nuisance, and they use both these terms, nuisance and summary abatement. So, of course, we alerted the media. On the 31st of May, we were visited by a philanthropist and a political figure in Chicago, um, and he promised that he would pay the fines for the church. It was Dr. Wilson. Um, and, um, but three hours or four hours before he had to respond to the Supreme Court, 
Governor Pritzker completely retracted on all his mandatory rules and made them voluntary. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, from one of the most restrictive states in the nation, we became one of the more relaxed state, states as far as uh, stay-at-home orders and uh, uh, rulings uh, pertaining to public gatherings and everything else. So that is a uh, short history of what took on in those two, three weeks. That's awesome to hear. Um, not only how you and Liberty Council intervene, but how God intervened in this whole situation and standing up for the church, standing up for Christ is, uh, and we were able to see the rewards behind that. I would have to say that um, every court ruling went against us and except for a few states, went against churches all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, why the governor changed like on a dime, all of a sudden, it must have been, uh, cannot explain it any otherwise. Uh, it must have been the hand of God. It must have been uh, something dramatic and divine, changing the course. I feel like we were the four lepers. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we made the decision that we cannot live like this, we cannot accept this death sentence upon churches, keeping them closed down, and the, reper the spiritual repercussions uh, on the spiritual lives of the people uh, were concerned. Uh, as soon as we threw ourselves into the enemy's camp, uh, I think the same happened uh, with us in the state of Illinois, in Chicago. And if we were the four lepers, let's hope Governor Pritzker is not uh, the pharaoh and <laughs> changes his mind and runs us down to the Red Sea. But regardless, God's going to be on our side. Absolutely. The, 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 the level of arrogance and uh, how obnoxious these people are is beyond what a democracy would allow for. Uh, the mayor would stand in front of microphones and she would say, if we catch you this and if we catch you that, we will take you to jail. We will. I mean, you it was a witch hunt, basically. You, yeah. you don't hear that in a democracy. <laughs> no. And I'm talking about the tone. Okay, so I understand you need to be tough. You want to protect people. You want to save lives. Okay, I'll, for a moment, I'll leave that unchallenged, even though uh, further down <laughs> the process we would understand how much they cared about people's lives. But at that point, let's give them that. Mm -hmm. You don't talk like that to the people that you serve. You don't talk like a dictator. And these people were most arrogant and they have everything on their side. The state of Illinois, the city of Chicago are the most liberal uh, places. Uh, almost, I would say one of the most liberal places in uh, America. Uh, why they would succumb to that pressure, I have no idea, and I can only put it at the feet of God. There can be no other explanation. We were in the lines then. Yeah. Nothing going for us. That's great to hear, and uh, I'm glad that um, not only 
did that work out for the churches in Chicago, but we saw churches all around America standing up for that, following the footsteps that you, that you guys started. Um, now I want to talk a little more, uh, general sense, uh, people I've conversed with people in the community, outside the community. Um, if you ask them now, they, everyone agrees with, with, uh, your actions back in May and April regarding uh, opening up the churches right away. However, um, they did admit that at the time, a lot of, not a lot of people, but there were a few people in the community, um, in, in these churches that were a little skeptical and a little hesitant to fully support that move to open the churches. And, and a lot of it has nothing to do with um, deeming churches un- unnecessary or uh, non-essential, but it was mostly their concern over the coronavirus and the, you know, the health precautions. But um, uh, John MacArthur was quoted a couple of weeks ago in his interview with uh, Tucker Carlson. He said, you know, and they were talking about the different dangers they had, uh, but he, he didn't even address that that much. He said, you know, what, what pains him the most is that, and what and the biggest tragedy is that they went 21 weeks without ministering to college students, young couples, um, teenagers, uh, families. Um, what are the, what are the principles behind keeping a church open? What is the, what is the underlying meaning, the foundations of it? Why, why should we fight for this? Obviously we know everything that happened and, uh, we know like from a legal aspect, what we talked about this last uh, half hour or so, um, regarding the government's infringement and they don't have the right to close, but why do we need to open the church? Uh, first and foremost, uh, I've rejected and I've resented uh, the government officials uh, storyline that they care about the people I don't dispute that what I dispute is that they care about our people more than we do and they care about the people more than they do themselves for themselves and for their families I reject that uh, that big brother uh, mentality when a government steps into those shoes, we are in danger. All the government can do is recognize and trust the ability of its citizens to take care of themselves. They have to enable that and they have to protect that. Now, they have to inform us of everything that we don't know. As everybody, I was looking for clear signals and in the first weeks of the pandemic or so they call it I didn't see that clarity they invoked scientists science specialists but there was no clear message there were a lot of conflicting stories and what I saw was Everything that turned against their narrative, extreme narrative, with extreme measures, was shut down, completely ignored, and persecuted, to be clear. And I, it sounded to me like they wished for the churches to be shut down. They wished for the people to be bogged down, uh, to stay in their homes. 
it was it seemed to me and i've been in romania under communism it seemed to me like the government was flexing its muscles and see how far they can go with this and how much they can get away with and i was very disturbed by it i was proven right when protests started and first we had a wave of protests of people coming against the government and the draconian extreme measures they took against people mm -hmm. we didn't see looting we didn't see people uh being violent of course they were they have slogans of course they shouted of course i mean it was what a protest should be all about so all these liberal governors and uh, mayors jumped at unison condemning these protests and saying they're endangering lives uh, they are promoting uh, people uh, getting sick dying because of this uh, being infected and then I mean, we had a protest in Chicago uh, in the Memorial Day weekend, I think. It was the 17th, the 18th, at the Buckingham Fountain. And the police was sent in force to disperse the participants. And eventually they did. A week later, we have the situation in Minnesota, mm -hmm. which was tragic, but not specific. To one gender and one race we can have some extreme measures taken by police officers in some situations and if that was racially motivated and targeted uh, we would condemn it mm -hmm. all of us we don't need a protest in the street the whole society would uh, be one voice mm -hmm. in condemning it but then we saw Tens of thousands of people all over the place looting, burning things, destroying things, killing, hurting people. And all of a sudden, we had a different message from our government officials. Well, they're within their rights to protest. Now, all of a sudden, all those protests, all those services, church services, which were evil and dangerous were forgotten and now protests taken to the extreme vandalism riots were condoned mm -hmm. by the same people so how am i going to take them seriously that they care about the people's lives but this dysfunctional thinking is specific to liberalism now we know that all these movements have a very very hard political undertone i think they are subversive mm -hmm. uh, i think they're used by one political movement to further them their ambitions and their agenda 
And it makes me think twice about how sincere they were when in the beginning they took those measures against citizens to protect them, so yeah. to speak. Mm -hmm. So I've seen some of this dysfunctionality, um, disproportionate actions, discriminatory, uh, right from the beginning. As soon as I saw our people, because I applied this to the local church, uh, I, I'm too small of a person to uh, have uh, um, ambitions beyond my s small circle of influence. I am in my place. But I looked at our people in our church going to work, shopping, meeting together in houses, as families, as friends, and not taking this very seriously. Because they saw what I saw. Some of them got sick with coronavirus, and some of them didn't have much symptoms at all. Some of them went through it and no repercussions. We didn't have one death in the church that would be singularly attributed to coronavirus. Uh, we had some people that went through a tough time, but they had underlying uh, medical conditions. Uh, they recovered in the end. But I saw that 99%, I'm going to give a general uh, percentage. It might be 98 point something, 99 point something. Let's use a uh, whole number, an, an yeah. easy number. 99% yeah. mm -hmm. uh, of the people would not be in danger of dying. And we take risks every day. As soon as we get out of our beds and get into our cars, we assume risk, risks. We negotiate risks for life's necessities and even entertainment. Entertainment. I fly a lot, going from place to place, different churches, different events, different... And every single time I board a plane, I assume a risk. Every single time I get behind a wheel, I assume a risk. Uh, people go to entertainment parks and they assume risks going into those uh, rides. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, even when you take med medicine, there, are there is collateral damage. You assume some risks. You go into an operation room. You get a surgery. And the doctor will tell you, you might not wake up. Mm -hmm. But you measure up benefits against risks. And you do that every day. We live in a world where everybody dies in the end. And I don't think church should be subjected and placed in the negative column of negotiating risks and say, because what I've seen is we can negotiate risks 
when it comes to our flesh, mm-hmm. to our entertainment, uh, to our hobbies. But we don't want to negotiate risks when it comes to our spiritual advancement and survival, to be quite honest. Now, when we talk about church, the church was established on those four pillars that you have on uh, Acts 2.42. Now, let's see what it says there, if you can uh, pull up that verse, and uh, we'll talk just for a little bit uh, about that. So, Acts 2.42? Yes. And it says, uh, verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right. So when we're talking about the apostles' teachings, we are talking about in-person gatherings and listening to the word. When we're talking about fellowship, that specifically targets physical gatherings. Mm-hmm. We need to be in the same place at once. As a matter of fact, Paul, Apostle Paul rebuked the Corinthians. They didn't wait for each other. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about uh, the breaking of bread, we talk about in-person gatherings, celebrating together the Holy Communion. And then when we talk about prayer, we talk about common prayer and being together in the same place and praying. Now, all these things could be done in private under special circumstances. I can be in my home with my own Bible and read the Word and study the Word. Uh, I can uh, pray by myself in my chamber, in my private chamber, chamber. And also I can break bread by myself because I'm sick, I'm bedridden, I'm old, and I need to be served at home. There are special circumstances. That's why we continued Holy Communion during the quarantine, because we said, let's accept that we are all bedridden Mm -hmm. or home-ridden at this time. So we are going to send the communion to each address. We're going to pray for the elements, and we're going to partake communion because we cannot live without it, even though circumstances dictate that what we would do for a sick person When that person cannot come to church, we would do for everybody right now. But fellowship, and I like how it sounds in the Romanian language, the brotherly binding and bonding. We need to bond as a church. We're coming from different families. It's beyond being relatives. It's beyond being siblings. It's beyond... We're strangers united through the blood of Christ into the body of Christ as uh, members of the body of Christ. And a body needs physical interaction. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering Mm -hmm. of the church. So I was analyzing the spiritual state of the church and before the pandemic, or before the quarantine, what was the most and traumatic situation 
that churches experienced. People being absent from church gathering. You look at mega churches. Let's say, give a round number, they have 20,000 members. And you see an auditorium of five, six, seven thousand people. It's filled on Sunday, and you say, Oh my, this church is not affected. It is. Because you have 7,000 people, even 14,000 if you have two services, out of 20,000 members. I think in America right now, before the pandemic, being absent for, from church was a sport. Mm -hmm. uh, I think anywhere around half of a church membership would not attend church regularly. Even before, people wouldn't seriously, wouldn't take seriously and gravely the importance of being there every time uh, when church gatherings took place. And in the Romanian community, we saw that creeping in in the last few years. I mean, I remember when I first came to the United States, if you had 500 members in a church, you would have seven, 800 people attending church. Mm -hmm. Now you need 1,000 members, so you have five, 600 people attending. And this was a danger before the pandemic. As Pastor MacArthur had conveyed to uh, in that interview, um, we try to attend to our people. I've had people over a certain age uh, contacted by one of the pastors, people over a certain age contacted by another pastor, youth contacted by another pastor. We, we try to attend the problems of the church, but you cannot have church as a video game. And when people are exposed to that kind of a church for a long time, it becomes convenient. And guess what happens? They were absent for physical gatherings. Now they started to be absent from online gatherings. And I asked a lot of people and they said, Brother Christy, we have a problem. We are not as formal as we used to be in the first weeks of the pandemic. Uh, we start missing church sometimes and uh, dressing appropriately, even though, I mean, we're in our living rooms, drinking our coffees, getting a snack. Uh, the wife is in the kitchen preparing food. We don't take the gathering seriously. There are so many distractions. And it never compares to being in a physical gathering with the church. So I think that we are yet to determine the colossal losses and damages incurred as a result of this uh, shutting down the churches. Uh, but we already see the results. And that's an unfortunate thing. Um, before the government instilled their opinion and their belief on the church, I think we as Christians started, like you said, before the pandemic. 
we treated it up until now as an extracurricular activity. So then the government decided to take advantage of that and they treated it and they shut it down as long as they categorized it with the other extracurriculars. And um, I guess the one thing that we can look forward to, the one thing that we could be thankful and grateful for um, in these last few months is that uh, a lot of people who were dormant are now awake. They realize that um, they weren't taking that seriously and they should take it more seriously. It's, it's necessary, it's important, it's essential for life. Uh, a crisis... Uh, would not immediately shape the mindset of the people, but at first expose it. Mm -hmm. And when the mindset of a person is exposed by a crisis, that person has a choice to repent and return to the apostolic message and the way church should be in the first place or they can rebel and go even deeper into that mindset of being absent, being lethargic. Um, people never stay in the same place, whether in peacetimes, in crisis, we're moving. And I'm very excited to see a lot of people awaken and uh, having found new joy in the fellowship of the church and uh, uh, having a revival uh, in some families' lives. And I'm very grateful for that. But at the same time, unfortunately, and especially with a young generation, I see a lot of complacency and I see a lot of justification for uh, online activities because this is their world. And one thing that I have found over the years in my experience as a pastor is people are always demanding and asking that you bring the kingdom of God, bring church, bring what we do in church, bring preaching, bring singing at their level. You have people coming from different backgrounds and coming from different backgrounds, each category is trying to impose upon the church their own mentality. And if we are going to start doing church based on these demands, it will be an ever um, uh, changing church uh, that is not going to be established based on the core values of what church should be all about. It's going to be established on people seeking their own gratification, uh, even in the spiritual uh, realm. And this is something very dangerous because this is how and I understand the idea of uh, bringing the word of God bringing church to the level of people's understanding this is what Jesus did in the first place he brought God and he brought his word to a level people could relate to and could understand 
But if we overdo it, uh, some people come from bars, from discos, uh, from places of entertainment, from beaches, and they will want to tone down the church to that particular level. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be very dangerous. I visited Florida a few years back, and I went by a church that would say, beach clothes uh, and attire accepted. <laughs> and for a moment, I, I just stopped the car uh, in front of that church, and I said, what would that be like? I mean, you go to the beach and you see people dressed like going into the water yeah. and suntanning. And, and then you go into the church and you see the same thing. Uh, and then you go into a disco and see all those lights uh, and uh, it's dark but you see those lights jumping and playing all around the room, and then you go into, into a church and see that. And um, that is never, never good. That is never, never good. And um, young people live in an era of technology and online. And look at what it did to the young generation. Uh, we have a young generation without real relationships, mm -hmm. very awkward socially. Uh, we see a world which is very much um, living on an online basis. Uh, and it deprives society of the glue, spiritual glue that binds people together and make people interacting and being compassionate and, and, and being healthy when it comes to the mind, to the soul. Uh, we, we, we switch to a matrix lifestyle that is very damaging to the soul. And when we take the church and bring it down to that level, I think that's not even church anymore. I don't speak against sending forth online messages, podcasts, uh, and other materials that would help people grow spiritually. I welcome that. Our church is one of the most dynamic uh, we have a television, we have uh, uh, online services, we have uh, sermons, we have studies, we have everything that you can conceive uh, on an online basis. But we consider that as a spiritual supplement mm -hmm. to people that cannot attend our church in person. But that should never serve as a substitute to the physical gathering of the saints. And I love that if, if we follow the code that God provided us in scriptures, especially this, this passage or this verse we just read in Acts um, about devoting to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, I mean, 
we see the the benefits and the positive consequences of of, of following those actions. So, um, yeah, I think physical gatherings are important. I mean, I love doing this podcast. I love talking about these things, but this is just something extra. This is something that, like you said, a supplement, something you can tune in during the week. But um, I think physical gather- gatherings, being together, united as one, um, I don't think God would allow such a thing to, to prevent that. I think, right. I think he will always make a way for his church, his body to gather as one. So, I, I, I think people are using this truly. People that are into online services, uh, podcasts, uh, videos, these are the people that attend church anyway. Yep. People that do not attend physical gatherings of the church, they will not be very present in any of these uh, things. They use it just as an excuse. Mm-hmm. So as we as we wrap things up, um, are there any, in, in a few words, any final thoughts about this, this whole issue, this whole thing? If you had to summarize it in, in one point, uh, what would it be? Uh, the government has no business interfering with church services and religious activities in this country. People in uh, government shouldn't pretend for a moment that they care about our people more than we do. If they want to inform us, if they want to cooperate with us, if, we want to, if they want to talk to us, we welcome that. We give Caesar what is due to Caesar. But as far as imposing, legislating, giving us lectures, on how many people should be present in a service, bringing their ignorance forth, because if they say 20 or 50, they don't even know what a church service is all about. That is unacceptable. And I hope a lot of pastors and a lot of churches would stand up for our faith, for our freedoms, for our families. And if the time comes when we have to pay a price, for what we believe in, so be it. But right now, as long as we stand under our First Amendment rights and protections, let's put the government in its place. That's awesome. And uh, I mean, that's that's in a nutshell, that's what it is. That's essentially what, what we've been talking about today. But uh, thank you again so much for agreeing to do this. Um, you don't know how much it means to me. It means a lot that not only a pastor who has been involved with all of this, but you know, my own uncle, family member, a person I you know love and respect, is taking his time to do this with me, and I, I really appreciate that. I admire you. I love you very much, and uh, I'm watching you, and uh, I pray for your blessings and uh, for uh, success. Thank you, and, ho- and hopefully you'll be listening too. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So typically at the end. Um, Usually I have uh, younger guests who have their own social medias that they can plug. But, I mean, you're on, you're on Facebook. I think you've already maxed out on all your friends and your public page. So people know who you are. They can find you um, and they can uh, follow um, everything, all the proceedings, everything that's going on. So thank you again for being here. Uh, for you listeners out there, thanks again for tuning in. You can follow us on our Instagram account at the potter's house if you have any questions or comments or concerns you can reach us at our email the potter's house at gmail.com please like and subscribe on spotify itunes and wherever you can find podcasts please leave a review 
and share with your friends because I think a lot of people, uh, not only this podcast, this episode in general, uh, in this episode specifically, but in general, I think a lot of people will be enlightened and encouraged by the message that we have here. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and we will see you next time. Bye.